How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back to Life's Key 3. I am so delighted that you are with me today. If you have children and you want a ready-made Bible study delivered straight to your inbox that all you have to do is pick up and implement every week, then sign up for highlights and that's what you're going to have. I totally remember the days of having young children at home and wanting to be able to have a systematic Bible study and meaning well so much of the time, but not always getting around to doing that. And so one of the reasons for this is because I'm trying to provide you with a tool that I wish that I had had those years ago. What you're going to have are reading assignments for adults and teens, and then I reference a children's Bible for children who are old enough to read, but specifically has some information in them for elementary ages. And then also I tie to a passage in the 365-day Children's Storybook Bible, which is for preschoolers, children who are not yet reading fluently on their own. There's additional material that I have in there. And one of the benefits is that as new resources are released, you are entitled to a discount. So if you haven't already, hop on over stephaniepresents.com and sign up today. All right, let's jump in and continue with our dive into the book of Ruth. In our last episode, looking at Ruth chapter 2, it ended with a gleam in Naomi's eye as we start to see that she is thinking, aha, as it relates to her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. Just a short recap. Naomi and Ruth have returned from the land of Moab. Now, Ruth was originally from Moab, so she's referred to several times in this book as a Moabitess. Naomi, however, was Jewish. She and her husband and two sons had left the land of Israel about a decade before, and they had moved off and lived in Moab for about 10 years because there was a famine in the land of Israel. During that time, both her husband and her two sons, they all died. We don't know why. We don't know whether it was all at once or over it was a period of time. We do know that during that time, both of her sons also married Moabite women. This is a pretty strong indication that the family had intended to stay and settle in Moab. What we don't know is whether Naomi's husband, who was the one making these decisions, really had consulted God about moving off to Moab and remaining there or not. The Bible is entirely silent on that. After the death of her husband and sons, Naomi says, I'm going home. And Ruth returns with her. Her other daughter-in-law initially is going to go, but she decides that she will return back to her, her home. But Ruth says, oh no, you are not getting rid of me. I am coming with you. And even though we get a taste of the tremendous pain and grief and suffering, that Naomi has and is continuing to experience when she returns home. I mean, this lady is very authentic. 
And it's easy to kind of dismiss her sometimes as this embittered old soul. But I don't see that that's consistent at all with her character throughout these four short chapters. I don't think Ruth would have been wanting to go back and live in a foreign country with somebody who was just a a bitter old woman. I think there's a difference between being honest and authentic about the pain of life and becoming embittered by it. So they have returned home and they are at the bottom of the heap in terms of economic security. They are widowed, they are impoverished, and they are in a place of great dependency and vulnerability. We don't really know the ages of either one of them. And as is true for most people in the Bible, we are not told anything about their physical characteristics. So make a note of that because when you read in scripture where something is said about a person's physical appearance, pay attention to that because typically that does not happen. So when a remark is made, It's important to say, okay, why is that significant in this story? After they return to Bethlehem, we saw last time Ruth takes the initiative and she acknowledges the reality of their situation and she goes out to participate in the reaping for the barley. Now, the way this worked was a long time prior to this, God had established a safety net for the poor. And what that meant was that when people harvested their crops, they were not supposed to take every last crop out of their field. There was room around the edges of the field that they were to leave. And there were also instructions about grain that fell to the ground and uh, different procedures so that the poor could come in and they had a way to gather food for themselves. Even though this isn't the main feature of the book of Ruth, I do think it's worth pointing out here that God cares for the poor. You cannot read the Bible, whether it's the Old or New Testament, without understanding that if there is one group of people that you better not oppress, it's the poor. And the safety net that God provides for people so that they don't starve to death requires something both of people who have plenty and people who are poor. It's not just one or the other. So the people who have plenty are commanded to conduct their business in such a way. Now, this was an agricultural nation. And so primarily you had agriculture that was the center of the economy. And so those who had fields were commanded to leave some of their business so that it could be accessed by the poor. It wasn't a matter of I'm going to use and take for myself every last resource that I have. There was also something required of the poor. They had to get up and go to the fields and they had to pick up the grain and they had to work for it. It wasn't a matter that the landowners were commanded to gather the grain and and thresh it and leave it in uh, buckets or barrels or bags for people to come and pick up. But they did have to leave it. They had to basically walk away from potential profits in their fields and to make those profits easily accessible. The poor didn't show up at the fields and demand anything, but they did have an opportunity to show up at the fields and to set to work. 
And so when Ruth goes out to glean in the fields, she is engaging in this economic safety net system that God had set up years and years before. And Boaz, as we can see in this story, conducts his operations in accordance with that. As a matter of fact, he goes one step further. He doesn't just do the bare minimum. He goes a step further because he gives direct instructions to the laborers in his field to make sure that they take out some of the sheaves of barley and then later we learn also wheat and to leave them so that Ruth has plenty. He doesn't want her and Naomi to just have enough to survive. He wants them to be well taken care of. This entire economic safety net system validates what is true. We typically value when something when we have skin in the game. Isn't it true that if you have purchased a ticket to go to an event, you are far more likely to go than if there was no cost to you whatsoever? And that's an important principle that we can apply not just in big areas of our lives, but we can apply in small areas. When we have plenty, we need to be intentional that we create ways that other people can receive from our abundance. Also, when we are in a position of need, and that doesn't just necessarily have to do with food or housing or shelter, although it definitely begins with those basic necessities, but when we are a place of need emotionally, relationally, spiritually, that there's some work that we're supposed to put forth in order to have our needs met. We don't just sit on the sidelines and go, somebody come take care of me. We have a responsibility to take initiative and to show up in our own lives to do our part to address the needs that we have. So Ruth chapter 3 opens with Naomi. So chapter 2 closed with Naomi and this little glint in her eye, and it opens, chapter 3 opens with Naomi giving Ruth some very clear, specific instructions. What's the reason for this? The barley and wheat harvest lasted probably around two months, and Ruth has been working in these fields for about two months. Remember, this is demanding physical labor. She is showing up early in the mornings, and she is working throughout the course of the day, and this is dirty, hard, demanding, totally non-glamorous work. She has proven her grit and determination. She has proven that she is willing to take responsibility for her life and not just sit around and moan about the circumstances that she's in. Remember, she's not to blame for becoming a widow. We don't know all of those circumstances, but she faces head on the situation that she's in, and she determines she's going to do her best given the opportunities that she has. And over the course of these weeks, as she has continued to work in Boaz's field, Naomi has kind of been going, hmm, Naomi knows that Boaz is a redeemer of her. Now, Boaz was related to Naomi's deceased husband, Ahimelech. So he's not a direct relative of Naomi. So far as we know. At least there's nothing in these passages that indicate that, although we are quite clearly told that he was connected in some way to Ahimelech. 
We don't know exactly what that connection was, but we know there was a family tie here. This is what is so incredibly important for us to understand, not just in order to grasp the story, but to make application of this in our own lives. You know, here in the United States, and I think this is true in a lot of Western culture, but especially in the United States, you know, we have this immigrant, independent, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, pioneering kind of mentality. And although there's value in that when it comes to grit and determination and hard work, there's also a potential downside to that thinking, which is that we don't value our connectedness to other people, either in the present or in the past. There is no such thing as a self-made anyone. No one makes themselves. We are all impacted by and influenced by, just as we impact and influence others. The significance of this interconnection between families served many purposes, and I'm not going to detail all of those, but a couple I do want to point out is, number one, the importance for the Jewish people to know where they came from and to have these family connections is it was a way of saying no one is replaceable. Every person counts. It wasn't just about remembering who came from who and who came from who and all those kind of things with the begats. It wasn't just to satisfy a person's curiosity. It wasn't just an ancient form of Ancestry.com. Rather, it was a way of saying every single person has a place, every single person has value, and it is important for us to own the responsibility that we have with our lives and the impact that we have on other people. The second significance of this focus on family connectedness was it was what provided a way for people to have their needs met not just economically, but in other ways. There was no equivalent of a social security system. There was no equivalent of aid for food or housing or any other needs that came from, quote, the government. Your needs were to be met by your family, and not just family in the way that we think of it with your immediate spouse, children, maybe your parents, but your family was a much broader, I mean, concept than what we have today. This included aunts and uncles and cousins and cousins of cousins and uncles of uncles and so on and so forth. There are still cultures in the world today who operate with this. And children who don't just grow up learning their ABCs from the time they're young, they learn to be able to repeat their family lineage going back generations. And there is in these cultures a tremendous sense of obligation to hospitality and to the interconnectedness that we have as people. Naomi knows that Boaz is kin, again, to her now deceased husband. And that means that he's also a redeemer who has some rights and responsibilities, not only to her, but also to Ruth. And so Naomi has kind of been going, aha, I think there is the potential for a match here. Now, this is not a biblical version of Emma Woodhouse, like in Jane Austen's novel, Emma. This is a woman who was looking out for Ruth's well-being. She is trying to secure a future for her 
that is going to be good for her. She knows that at some point, it's likely that Naomi is going to pass and Ruth is going to be left here in an incredibly vulnerable place, even more so than she currently is. She is still looking out for other people, even though she has suffered so much. Naomi has become a matchmaker. And we don't need to try to gloss this over with anything other than here's a woman in a situation where she sees this is a good match that's going to be beneficial to both Boaz and Ruth. And she decides she's going to be the one who's going to get them together. So what does she do? Well, first of all, she uses the knowledge that she has of men. Remember, she had a husband and two sons. And she knows that it's not going to be good for Ruth to show up with, to Boaz if she doesn't look her absolute best. Remember, Ruth has been working in these fields for probably a couple of months now, and she didn't come home every night to a fresh hot shower. So Ruth says to her, all right, you need to scrub up, girl, and then you need to anoint yourself. In other words, you need to look your best. You need to put on some nice perfume. You need to make sure your hair is glistening. You need to look your absolute best. And then she proposes this situation where Ruth is basically going to propose to Boaz. And she's going to do it in such a way that she is respectful of Boaz. She doesn't put him on the spot. There's no, hey, let's surprise Boaz when he's in the city gate and we will show up with a big parade and say, hey, Boaz, how about you propose to this woman? That is not what happens. She instructs Ruth to carry this out in such a way so that if Boaz rejects Ruth, Ruth is not going to be unduly embarrassed or humiliated. Remember, neither of them know the outcome of this. There's no foregone conclusion here that Boaz is going to say yes to basically Ruth's proposal. This is a high risk. We can gather from the scripture that Boaz, if he wasn't wealthy, he was at least well off enough that he owned part of a field, that he had some servants, and that he could afford to buy the field that Naomi, we learn, is later going to sell. Boaz was not in a desperate position. He was probably considered to be a fairly eligible bachelor, especially for someone maybe who, who was older. We don't know exactly the age difference between Boaz and Ruth, but we do know that there's some sort of an age difference because Boaz makes reference to this in his response to Ruth. So Boaz is out here one night and he's threshing the grain that's been harvested. He may also have been staying there overnight to keep guard over the grain. And the Bible says that, you know, after he's eaten and he's had plenty to drink, his heart is merry. Okay. We don't need to pretend like what he was drinking here was raspberry iced tea. It wasn't. He was drinking wine. He felt pretty darn good. And then he goes off to sleep and Naomi has told Ruth, okay, you're going to go over there. You're going to not make your presence known. Basically, you're going to sneak up on the guy, but you're going to do it in a way that is respectful. And then you're going to go over and you're going to lay down and when he wakes up, that's when you are going to propose. And that's exactly what Ruth does. 
Now, I don't know how people worked out marriage proposals in Moab, so this whole thing could have seemed like one cockamamie scheme to Ruth. You want me to go where and say what and do what? But whatever her initial response was to this as they were discussing this, Ruth places her trust in Naomi. And again, this is another indication to us that Naomi had proven that she was a woman, not just of generosity, but she was a woman of wisdom. Ruth demonstrates that she continues to have a teachable spirit. She is now part of this new culture, and she accepts that she has a responsibility to adjust to this culture, not to expect the culture around her to adjust to her. Boaz responds in such a way that shows that he is a man of integrity. He doesn't shame or embarrass or take advantage of Ruth. As a matter of fact, he does just the opposite. He is very generous with her. He is kind in his response to her. He sends her back with plenty of grain and says, I want you to take this back. I want Naomi to see that you have come back very, very blessed. It's kind of a physical representation and a way of saying to Naomi, all right, Naomi, I'm in agreement with your plan here. Just hold on. Boaz also looks out for Ruth's reputation. He gives her instructions about when and how to go back into the city. He values her enough to be a protector and a provider, not just in terms of food, but also to protect her reputation. He wants to provide for her in the most generous and comprehensive sense of the word. Naomi has an understanding of men, and so she says to Ruth, okay, you know what, just hold on, because he's not going to rest until the matter is settled. And sure enough, Boaz takes initiative. He goes into the city. He calls to the other man who had the first right of redemption, and he's very savvy in how he presents this proposal. He doesn't start by saying, hey, there's Ruth. Would you want to marry her? Because if you don't, I do. No, no, no. He presents to this other uh, closer kinsman redeemer, and he says, hey, there's a field that Naomi is wanting to sell, which is interesting because this is the first time that we've heard that Naomi has a field for sale. We don't know exactly how she had legal right to this. The scholarship on this is kind of murky, and there's a lot of different interpretations about what legal rights to property that women and widows had in that time period. But somehow or another, she has a field that is up for sale. Had it been on the market for a while? Did she try to sell it when she first got back to Bethlehem and there had been no buyers? Or had she decided, you know what, I think if I put that field up for sale, that is going to play into this matchmaking scenario. And I think that this might be a way to further along this plan to get Boaz and Ruth together. Remember, she's not just trying to get Boaz and Ruth to marry because she thinks they'd be a cute couple. She is looking out for Ruth's future. And she's not manipulating or taking advantage of Boaz in this. She wants Ruth to have a man of integrity. And she also sees this would be a good fit for Boaz. 
We don't know whether Boaz had ever been married. Had he been married and widowed? Had he had children and they were still living and adults and we just never hear about them? Had he never had children? Had he had children and they had all died? Again, the book of Ruth is interesting in all of the things it does not tell us. So we don't know anything about Boaz's previous marital history or whether he'd had children or not. So however it came to be and whenever it came to be that Naomi has this field for sale, Boaz approaches this man with savviness, and that's important for us. When we have important deals to take care of, and yes, that includes business deals, not just what we might want to think of as spiritual deals, we need to be savvy and to think through and to be effective negotiators and to put things in such a way we're not lying, we're not manipulating, but we are being savvy about how we conduct our affairs. Another way that we can see that Boaz is a man of integrity here is he acts in a timely manner. He doesn't just make Ruth a promise and then he leaves her hanging and wondering if he's ever going to get around to filling it. This is actually a pretty good story for people who are looking for a marriage partner to think in terms of, hmm, what are the characteristics that we see here in Ruth and the ones that we see in Boaz? So what did Boaz see in Ruth? Well, first of all, she's a very loyal person. Secondly, she's a woman of grit and determination. She's not afraid of hard work. She has a teachable spirit, and she is very respectful of Boaz. In all of the encounters that they had had together, Ruth had always treated him with respect. And then what about Boaz? Well, first of all, he always goes above and beyond what he has to do in order to show respect to Ruth. He doesn't just do the minimal viable to get by. He goes above and beyond. He is a person of initiative. He is responsive to her with kindness and with generosity. So even though he's not the one who initiates the proposal, it's not a matter that he is apathetic or lazy. Rather, I think we can intone from the story that he has not reached out to pursue Ruth because he did not want to seem as if he was taking advantage of her because of her economic status, because she was a foreigner, or because of their age difference. When he does accept her proposal, he acts in a timely way. He doesn't make promises and then just expects her to just wait around until circumstances align and he is able to get around. He is responsive and he's timely. He follows up on what he says in a timely and responsible manner. And even if we aren't looking at those characteristics of either Ruth or Boaz in terms of marriage, those are characteristics that we just want to have in life, to be people of grit and determination who are not afraid of hard work and hard work that's not just for 48 hours. Secondly, we see both of these are people who take initiative. They are also people who are loyal, who look out for those around them, not because they are coerced or begged or manipulated into it, not because people have to keep coming back to them and begging them to do things, but because they go above and beyond what needs to be done to care for the people around them. As we close out this chapter, 
think about the people that you have in your circle. Begin with your family. And I understand that in an age where our families are very separated, sometimes by miles, sometimes by oceans, think about how you can be intentional to care for your family. Remember, Boaz wasn't responsible for the deaths of Naomi's husband and her sons. He hadn't had any part to play in Malon's decision to marry Ruth. He didn't have any responsibility for Ruth's decision to come back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And a lot of times we have people who are part of our circle, whether our family or our communities, and they make decisions or decisions are made that create an impact in a situation for us that we didn't ask for. It just got handed to us. But the fact that we weren't a part of creating that situation doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to do something about it. Whether you take away from this the importance of grit and hard work, initiative, choosing to live open-handed and open-hearted and open to healing, just like we have been seeing in Naomi, and looking out for the best of those around you, being a person who goes above and beyond just the minimum in order to care for the people in your lives, even if they're in situations that weren't of your own making, and to be people who act in a timely manner on our commitments and who show respect and regard for other people and how we carry on our business with them, whether it's personal or whether it's economic. These are all some things that we can take away from this Old Testament story. Next week, we will wrap up our study of the book of Ruth, and then we'll be off into a new book. So I invite you to stay tuned for that. Come back next week as we wrap up this story. If you haven't already, hop on over to the website, stephaniepresents.com, sign up for highlights, share it with a friend, and most of all, remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.